This episode of Love Rants discusses topics that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Pop Sugar's Love Rants is brought to you by Yuli, an innovative online healthcare platform exclusively for women that says buck that to the traditional healthcare system. Get online and get faster access to women's health and medicine by visiting yuli.com.au. Hello and welcome to Pop Sugar's Love Rants. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we're recording and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'm Melissa Mason, a journalist, podcaster and the host of Love Rants. We're here to have conversations that get to the heart of various topics that fall under the broad umbrella of love, sex and relationships. Throughout this series, I'll sit down with someone different as we navigate the vulnerability, embarrassment and preciousness of love and self-love. Welcome back, everybody, to Love Rants. It is another episode talking about love, talking about sex, talking about relationships. I am, of course, your host, Melissa Mason. And today I have with me someone that most of you probably do know from either Instagram or TikTok as Zig's mom. I need to ask you the origin of that in a second, Carmen. <laughs> but real name, Carmen as a party. She, what, you do so many things. You work in PR, you're a social media manager, but also you do some incredible content work online so what is the origin of Zig's mom actually (laughs) so it's a little bit of a sad story actually um in my previous relationship my partner at the time and I adopted a rescue dog and his Mm. name is Ziggy and we were together for about six years when we broke up we did joint custody of Ziggy and so throughout this whole time I was Zig's mom and um then when it kind of got to a bit of a toxic situation uh when we were doing uh, joint custody. And so now my ex has Ziggy full time and oh, I don't no. see him anymore. Unfortunately, I know. So I've been Zig's mom since 2017. So it's just stayed that way. But you're still Zig's mom, even if he's got custody. Um, yeah, yes and no. Cause he has, <laughs> okay. he kind of has a new mom now, but <laughs> it would be a comms nightmare. So we're just leaving it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? Comms nightmares. You've got to just leave them, right? You've got to leave exactly, them. Exactly. Well, Look, we're talking today about love and sexuality and sort of Mm -hmm. like that's a big, big, broad topic, but we're sort of coming down to like self-love and sexuality and kind of the interconnection of them, them separately. Mm -hmm. What sort of first comes to mind when you think of these two topics? I mean, for me, they, they don't overlap as much as they probably do for others. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, like a very disjointed experience of self-love. I've battled with mental health issues like depression, anxiety. I've recently been diagnosed with CPTSD. And so mm. it's taken a really, really long time. I'm 28 now. It's taken a really long time for me to feel like I can get to a place mentally where I feel ready to put effort into working towards loving myself. Something that's kind of like a little bit on the opposite end of that is my sexuality that I came to terms with quite easily um, when I was a lot younger and I didn't have that struggle there that I do with self-love. So when I think about the two, they don't actually overlap for me. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe I kind of agree, actually. I've never really thought about it in the sense of how sexuality has come easily. And I was actually wanting to talk to you about this because I think that we really were, I mean, I'm a bit older than you, but I do feel like we come from a similar generation of where it was like a bit 
more accepted for us to explore our sexuality. And what's mm-hmm. been so beautiful to see is how then the next generation, it's even more encouraged. It's not just accepted. Mm-hmm. It's like encouraged to explore your sexuality and to like really like consider it and and sort of, you know, experiment and, and mm-hmm. figure out who you are, right, in that space. So can you talk through a bit about your figuring out your sexuality as a young person? Totally. Well, I think that I got... I don't want to say lucky because I think this should be the bare minimum for parents, but I did have parents who, uh, when it came to sexuality, like nothing was really taboo, nothing was off the table. And we grew up in a household where we had queer family members and my parents have queer friends. And that wasn't something that was taboo or strange or different in our household. Mm. It felt very normalized. And so I didn't have that experience of realizing I may be attracted to both women and men and finding anything, you know, inherently quote unquote wrong or or guilty um, that came with those feelings. I just felt really normal. And so instead of having a kind of light bulb moment when I was younger, when it came to working out my sexuality, it's kind of been like this gradual unraveling that's been happening in the background that has never actually caused me any like true discernment or distress. Yeah, that's really interesting, like seeing, I suppose, examples of queer love and queer representation around you and the importance of that. I don't feel like I had that. I should actually note that I'm like a cis heterosexual woman. Um, Mm -hmm. But in saying that, I feel like I was always a very curious person. And so I did, Mm -hmm. like I have in the past, like experimented in sexuality with women and just realized that I didn't have any attraction there. But you, you would see all this stuff, right? Like I feel like if I were to talk to older generations, there was this real like, no, do not explore, like don't go down those roads. It was kind of almost like um, like, like the fear of even exploring mm. or considering that option. And I think that mm-hmm. that's really interesting that you say that, you know, you felt more comfortable because you had that representation. Mm-hmm, totally. And it's also, I mean, something that we deal with as women, especially growing up, I think for our parents' generation and the generation before them, but it's something we're really unraveling now in our generation and the younger generation is, you know, compulsory heterosexuality and what we're taught mm-hmm. from a really young age when it comes to like the media we're consuming and the relationships we see on the screen. Um, unraveling, you know, is that compet? Um, me saying I'm 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 a straight person is is it because I'm a straight person or is it my compet talking you know and that's a conversation that I feel like has only really been starting to happen in the last couple of years that we're really lucky to kind of be around because yeah when our parents were younger they didn't even have words for this totally and like that is so interesting because also I always feel uncomfortable when I say like oh I ex- experimented because there is still this real stigma and you've talked about this before on a pop in a pop sugar article that we can link in the show notes about Mm -hmm. like I suppose like queerness and the the way that people perceive it with women and the way that Mm -hmm. people speak about um, particularly bisexuality or being attracted to more than one gender. Mm -hmm. I 
see this so often still in pop culture. I was just having a look at like examples because I was like, there's so many examples. What are they? And of course, there's like Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl. Um, mm. There's Basic Instinct, which is like one of the, they call it like one of the most biphobic films in history. It's just, have you ever seen it? <laughs> I have Have you seen it? Oh, I haven't, but it's, it you know what is terrible? Like is it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's honestly so good, bar the biphobia. It's upsetting to me because damn, like Sharon damn. Stone is incredible. But at the same time, it's just got these like, shockingly bad plot line where she's a queer woman um but they it's really all from the male gaze it's just gross mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think watching it now everyone would agree it's not it um but mm. then there's also really recently that Liam Payne kind of came under some real like criticism I don't know if you saw this but he had this song no. that was really just like like fetishizing the idea of a woman being attracted to more than one gender and like being with a woman Mm. who was also attracted to women. Mm -hmm, Um, And so mm -hmm. I suppose like that long rant, what I guess I was getting at was like, you know, do you think it's still hard for women, I suppose, to, or cis women to identify themselves as queer? I mean, yeah, I think it's definitely hard for anybody to come to terms with um, their queerness. But I think for for women and for non-men, it is something that is still really like fetishized, right? And so Mm. um, a lot of what we do, unfortunately, (laughs) men will think is for them right and yes. so if there is mm-hmm. a, a woman and a woman on woman relationship a lot of men will think that hey that's for me that's they're holding hands they're kissing in public they're doing these things with each other that you know any like straight couple could get away with and people wouldn't bat an eyelid but they're doing these things and I'm going to watch and I'm going to approach them and I'm going to make them uncomfortable because this is for me like this is why else would they be doing this and it's because unfortunately so many men straight men don't see value in a a woman-on-woman relationship or a woman in a a non-male relationship so of course I still think that there is this like weird pressure for women to be queer enough to be gay enough um, and they can't just be Yes, the be gay enough is what I think I see often. You often see like when you end up in ignorant conversations about queerness and women, I think the first thing that comes to mind is if there is like a, sorry, the first thing that you hear if there is a a woman who is in a relationship with a man but identifies as bisexual or is queer, there are these ignorant people that are like, well, how like but she's going to cheat on him with a woman or like she must like still be into it with women or whatever. What do you think about all of that? Mm. Well, I mean, there's actually an example of this in Sex and the City, believe it or not. I think (laughs) it's like one of the early seasons and it really stuck with me from when I was young and I watched it. Uh, Carrie dates a bisexual man. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. I remember this episode. Yeah. And it's actually riddled with biphobia. So she dates Mm -hmm. a bisexual man and I think there's an episode in, uh, there's a scene where they're in a club and he's looking around and her whole inner monologue is like, you know, this is so crazy. This is so wild. Is he looking at me or is he looking? at the men what's going on and he's painted this bisexual character is painted as you know someone that has all these partners and has a a quote-unquote wandering eye just because they're attracted to you know two genders and um there's a moment where he's looking around in a club and Carrie's like all right who are you looking at the man or the woman kind of thing and he's like I'm looking for the bathroom and I think that's just like such a poignant example of how like bisexual people both men and women are like fetishized and sexualized to the point where it's like that they we can have that be like 
made our whole identity where in reality that's just one facet of who I am that's just one part of my identity yeah and like have you ever experienced people doing that to you like sexualizing like sorry fetishizing you for being bisexual I mean yes and no there was always the like um oh you know (laughs) Carmen like hook up with that girl kind of thing. Like my mm. male friends, or, but not, not my friends anymore, but, you know, back yeah, in good. the day when I was younger, you would kind of be almost like um, kind of like manipulated into situations where you feel like, oh, no, this is great. This is progressive. I'm exploring my my sexuality and I'm making these connections with women. But then you look back at it when you're a bit older and you realize like, oh, no, I was kind of like manipulated or coerced into that situation by the men that were around me at the time. So I definitely do feel like I have fallen into a place at times where I've been quite fetishized and sexualized for my um bisexuality but it hasn't I haven't experienced that in a while and I think that's just because like I surround myself with quite like a a queer community and quite you know an accepting and um understanding community and so I haven't found Mm. myself in those situations but they still they still happen you know like they still definitely apply I think that's such a like growing up thing too you know you start out with these friends and then you you don't really know yourself yet and then Mm. as you discover who you are it's like you start to realize there are people in your life that like really are not serving you or like helping you grow and that is such a great pivot to (laughs) self-love because (laughs) I do want to talk about this mental health stuff that you mentioned because where I was going to say that I really agree Um, Mm -hmm. in part with what you said is that I also have had a fair share of mental health issues. I only Mm -hmm. recently got diagnosed with OCD, which was like a huge um, weight off my shoulders because Mm. it really explained a lot of my mental processes Mm -hmm. where I really felt like, yeah, like I felt like I I had always had anxiety, like I'd been diagnosed with that a long time ago, but like that's a very Mm -hmm. broad brush, I suppose. Um, Mm. And to narrow it down has been really helpful. But I also think that I um, really grew up in, you know, a way where I had like a real lack of self-love. Like I also grew up with great parents and all of that, but I definitely had people around me in my younger 20s that didn't foster kind of believing in yourself and sort of the freedom to kind of embrace your whole self, I suppose. Mm, And it mm -hmm. can be little things like that, right? Like it can literally be people in your life who, who just hold those beliefs that are really ignorant. And then you in turn feel like afraid or small. So I was going to ask you what your journey with self-love has been. I know you say you're still very much on it. I agree. Mm -hmm, Me too. mm -hmm. I actually think it's a lifelong journey, to be honest. I don't think it ends. (laughs) I don't think it ends, but you've obviously come a long way. So like what did younger Carmen look like, I guess, in terms of Mm. how much you loved yourself? Mm. Well, I want to, I want to preface by saying I actually didn't have great parents. I had really, really abusive parents. I had parents that were, you know, um, they were they weren't homophobic. They were accepting of, of gay and queer people. And we had mm. those gay and queer figures in our life, which was very helpful to me in terms of my sexuality. But that's kind of where it ended. <laughs> um, right. So I grew up with um, an alcoholic and abusive mother and mm. um, quite an abusive father. And so that really shaped my experience of 
self-love from a young age because and it's something I'm still unpacking you know we're still in therapy we're still working all of this out Mm. but it is also one of the reasons why I've been diagnosed with complex PTSD so post-traumatic stress disorder um, as an adult so that's because um, I was subject to a lot of uh, verbal and physical and mental abuse growing up until Mm. I left home at around 18. Um, And so because of that and what kind of transpired in my childhood, I actually developed a very unhealthy coping mechanism for, uh, for the majority of my childhood. So for about a decade, I struggled with self-injury and self-harm. And Mm. um, it took a really long time for me to realize that that was a, a tool that I was using to try and cope with um, what was happening internally, which was my experience of, you know, my mental health issues. And at the time I didn't have words to describe why I was doing what I was doing. And now looking back, I realized that that was one of the only ways I knew to cope. And one of the only ways I knew that I could get control, which sounds odd because Mm. if you haven't experienced it, people think like, Oh, hurting yourself. Like how could that, you know, help any situation. But for me it did, it felt like it did at the time. And looking Mm. back at that now, I can also realize like I had no sense of self and I had no sense of self-love or self-worth or even like a a self-actualization to to a point because I had just been so, I'm trying to think of the word for it, um, from my parents, just so like kept down and so belittled and made to feel so unimportant and um, you know, like made to feel like that diminished, essentially diminished. Yeah, yeah definitely. Like I felt so <laughs> diminished and, yeah. and so demeaned that like expressing my emotions felt like a bad thing. If I expressed my emotions too much, I was punished or, you know, yeah. like even if I was excelling at school or excelling in sport, it wasn't good enough. I could be doing better. And I never felt like there was a point in my childhood where I was like, I'm doing great or this is really good, Mm. or I'm great at this one thing, or I'm being celebrated for this. And so when you're Mm. not being treated that way from your parents and your caregivers, you're not experiencing love from them. You don't know how to show love to yourself. And so I actually didn't, I I think for a really long time, and I'm still really struggling with it, I didn't know how to show self-love because I didn't know self-love was a thing. Yeah. And that internal conversation, like I think that when we're younger, we don't realize that it's happening, right? And then as you get older, that's Mm. had such an impact on you. And I mean, Mm -hmm. look, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, And, you know, I think that it is such a testament to you that you have, you know, gotten to the point where you're at and that you have really like dug deep and gone through all those hard conversations with therapy because I think there are a lot of people that like, you know, don't go down that road of like, doing all that work because it is really Mm -hmm. difficult. Like it's not Mm. an easy thing to do. I feel like what you said about not having a sense of self or like not really having like that self-identity, I think that Mm -hmm. a lot of people can get to that point from very different roads in life. It could be Mm -hmm. like through school, with bullying, with with othering in school as well. Like I think that Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people now that maybe don't look back and think, oh, well, I was like bullied in school, but I was like sidelined or like didn't fit in and therefore Mm -hmm. spent all this time thinking that I was defective or strange Mm -hmm. or, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. And I think, you know, like that's just such an interesting because I I definitely feel like I – 
I'm going to like, I'm going to like condense a very long, complicated story from my early twenties <laughs> is that I, I was um, in a very fundamental Christian church for like 10 years. I was very much involved in that. It defined my whole life. And then when I left, I had no self-identity. I didn't really know who mm. I was. I didn't know where to go from there. And so I relate to that element of self-love where I think to even begin the self-love journey, you have to go, hang on, like, who am I? Like, what what is within me, you know, like Mm -hmm. where do I stand in this world? I think so. And I think you're so right when you said, you know, there are so many different avenues people can go down to wind up in the same, you know, in the same place of not understanding their own self-identity. And I think that it's something that it it should be implemented within us when we're children. And if you have Mm. parents or friends or, or, you know, peers who do that for you as a child, like that's 10 out of 10, that's amazing. But for Mm. so many children, it's not. And so, you know, you leave the home or you leave school and you wonder, like, I, I mean, I did. All these people have such a sense of purpose or sense of direction and they know what they want to do with their life and they're taking steps to get there. And I felt like I was just floating around, like, for years. Mm. I felt like I was just floating around and doing a bunch of different jobs and trying to figure out what it was that lit me up and made me happy. And I thought that that had to come from external factors. I didn't realise it could come from within. Now, we just want to take a moment to share about our sponsor, Yuli. Yuli is saying buck that to the traditional healthcare system by offering a hassle-free online service that empowers women with a modern approach to discreet, convenient healthcare and medicine. Get faster access to medical certificates, treatments and prescriptions like the contraceptive pill, emergency contraception such as the morning after pill, acne treatments, weight management, sexual health, even assistance to help you quit vaping. And it's all delivered to your door or inbox thanks to their innovative online health service. So say buck that and get online by visiting yuli at yuli.com.au to get your health sorted. I like to think this generation has better examples and representation and like better voices in their communities mm. to support like self-identity and healthy growth in that space, right? But when mm-hmm. I was younger, it was like I was so influenced by magazines and this really toxic culture of like women hate yourself, you know, like, like even though we (laughs) were kind of right, but it was like, even though we'd kind of gotten to this point where it was like, you can do anything was a bit more of a, a concept for young Mm. women. You Mm -hmm. still had this intense hatred that you were like, it was so insidious, but it was like, I'm really only realizing now how much it's affected me because I still carry it to this day. I was having this conversation the other day about bodies, right? Mm-hmm, and how mm-hmm. as I've gotten older, my body is just naturally changing. It's, you know, mm-hmm. getting bigger. And for several years, I really was working against that. And mm. to the point where it led to, you know, disordered eating and like, mm. you know, essentially hating my body into a certain size, you know. And Damn. and if you look back, that comes from a lifetime of being taught as women to think that way. Totally. And it's also, when you think about it, <laughs> me just really hating on men for this whole podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, it's really just, again, all of these things that we're taught to do from a young age when it comes to our appearance is for the male gaze, you know? Mm. And so this whole, we grew up in such a, such a diet culture. And it was, yeah. you know, on, on magazines that I used to read and things like that, like 10 ways to lose weight now and five things to stop eating from your diet if you want to like six pack abs and 
all of that sort of thing, you know, the thigh gap was so prevalent and especially for me. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Trigger warning, I'm going to bring up the thigh gap. But um, also like being on Tumblr and and that kind of was so great for me in terms of a creative outlet, but also like anybody else who was on Tumblr in the early like 2009, 2010 will be able to tell you like how much of a toxic place that was for um, women's Mm -hmm. um, body image stuff as well. And for self-harm stuff, actually, that was quite toxic for me. But um, And all of this language around, like, you'll be nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that is what was drilled into us from such a young age. Why? Because men prefer smaller women. That was, yeah. that was basically where it was coming from. And as a woman, I don't look at another woman who is maybe – two, three, four, five, however many sizes bigger than me or however many sizes smaller than me and think about their body. It doesn't happen. Mm. I don't look at someone in that, in that lens. And so for me, it's like, well, I know that women aren't, aren't, aren't the problem here when it comes to um, influencing other women to feel this way. I feel like men are the problem here. And so it's something that's really difficult to break out of because like you said, like growing older, your body changes and that's normal Mm -hmm. and that's natural. And it wouldn't make sense for your body to be the same size at 28 as it was at 18 and your same size at 38 as it was at at 28. It just is changing every year and that's normal and that's its way of keeping us like healthy and on track. But thinking that you should be the same size that you were three years ago or four years ago or five years ago and then working actively to make sure that you Mm -hmm. remain that size is so unhealthy and such an unfortunately like toxic way of thinking about your body that we don't even realize is bad if that makes sense we don't even like some people do and that's great but I have so many friends and family members and people who will like pick out and prod their appearance and for women their body even women after having children which is so unfortunate yes, because like one. Yeah. bringing children into the world is such a you know badass thing like it's so yes powerful and incredible like you grew a child and then birthed it like that's the craziest coolest thing I reckon you could probably ever do you should be celebrated for that every day and immediately women feel this pressure some women to snap back quote unquote Mm, and to be the size that they were before they had children and it's so unfortunate because this like amazing thing that they've done that you know it's so powerful it gets overshadowed by feeling like they need to immediately work out and eat a certain way and lose the weight otherwise like they don't have you know relevance that they had prior to having a baby and it's super super sad and it's something that women aren't even very cognizant of no, as absolutely collective. not. Oh, 100%. That's what I mean is like I am only now realizing how often I make comments, whether they're in my head or in person, even in conversation about mm. my body, about it's the way it's changing and like going to, yeah, having a baby, like – why does our does our body even need to snap back? Why wouldn't exactly. it be acceptable that we grew a child and our body has completely shifted because mm-hmm. that's naturally what bodies do? Yeah, it's 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 definitely a misogynistic society that we still live in, one hundred percent. But I do think mm-hmm. that as much as I agree that men started this, I also <laughs> feel like we have perpetuated it. And like I will totally. put myself in that same category. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, like really like something that has really been confronting me um, is, you know, 
how fat phobic I used to be and and even Mm -hmm. still to this day I'm unpacking and I'm really making this effort to follow um, a lot of like fat positive women on Instagram and to learn Mm -hmm. more about all these Mm -hmm. little insidious ways that we have Mm -hmm. like not allowed other people to take up space in society and how we've like, you know, belittled them and treated them like crap and just really Mm -hmm. like shamed them and hated on them. Um, Just Mm -hmm. through all these little things that we say where we're not even aware of and and behaviours and and like I really do think like to go back to like how this all starts, I think what you were saying about how your body naturally, you know, your body naturally changes over time and then, you know, the childbirth and all of that, it starts Mm. really when you are a kid, right, and your body starts changing hormonally Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I can remember like I was this little athletic weedy little kid Um, I used to do a lot of like little sports stuff and whatever and then, you know, puberty Mm. hit and my boobs came in and my hips came in and all of a sudden I was meant to start hating that and it was Mm -hmm. like immediately boys started sexualizing my body. Like I think everyone can remember their bra straps being flicked and like all this Mm. stuff and and I'm not even going to blame little boys for that because I think that that is just, again, the culture just seeping into us as our Mm -hmm, hormones mm -hmm. kick in and our bodies change and all these like toxic messages are around us but you Mm -hmm. know like I think that from the beginning we're really a bit doomed with self-love because we're so taught to to hate these changes and to hate our bodies Mm -hmm. and like um you know we're really conditioned in that way so I guess what I was going to start talking about now was how Mm -hmm. do we get away from that okay so we've realized (laughs) that we are in a bad place with this stuff and I know you've said you're on a journey and I think that's such an important thing for us to acknowledge is that this is not a quick fix. This is not something that we'll even necessarily solve in our lifetime. We're going to screw up all the time within our mm-hmm. own minds, in the things that we say. So totally. I think that it is really good to go easy on yourself, right? But like what are some mm-hmm. things you think people can do to start to really connect to that self-love space? Mm-hmm. I mean, such a loaded question because it just looks so different for everybody but yes but for me just coming off of the back of talking about our um, body image issues as as females for me something that I struggled with a lot and it has really impacted my self-worth and self-love has been like my body shape especially as someone with a smaller frame and bigger boobs and every Mm. time I talk about this I get so much negative feedback from people who are essentially like oh you have a small frame and big boobs like woe is me that must be so hard like people have real problems it's like yeah people have real problems and and you might not experience it, but this is one of my real problems. And this is something yes. that has really burdened me. And I know burdens a lot of bigger busted people out there. Because oh yeah. Uh, I'm with you. I have big boobs too. Okay. I get you. you get it then. 100%. You get it. Like, oh, a hundred percent. And this is, I, this is a conversation I want to be having right now. Yes, absolutely. Great. So the way I feel about my boobs is like, I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't, you know, like growing mm-hmm. up, I feel like I woke up one day and I had boobs and I was like, damn, and all of a sudden, like everything changed the way I dressed, the way I felt about my body, the way other people treated me and spoke about my body. And I never felt right. And I never felt comfortable. And um, for a really long time, you know, leaving school, going to uni, doing all of that stuff, I really tried to cover up my body. Yeah. I wore baggy shirts. I was considering mm-hmm. a breast reduction. I stopped playing sport because of the pain of running and never having a, a sports bra that really held them down. And I just, 
I changed a lot of things that I liked about myself growing up. I've always really liked, like when I was young, I remember when we had like um, free dress day at school where you get to wear your normal clothes kind of thing. It was like so exciting for me because I'm like, great, what outfit am I going to wear? Like I'm always planning these outfits from when I'm super young and I've always been really into like accessorizing and expressing myself. Mm. Like the outfits I wore when I was young are so wild, but it's just so funny to look back and, and realize that I'm still doing the same thing. It's just 20 years later. Um, but when I got boobs, that kind of went away because I thought everything I wanted to wear, I couldn't wear anymore, quote unquote, couldn't wear because my boobs would be out too much, you know, or people mm-hmm. would comment or people would stare or people would say things or I would feel uncomfortable. And so I just, for years, wore big T-shirts, baggy T-shirts, turtlenecks, covered up, like didn't let myself wear something that maybe I really wanted to because I thought it was too much and people would think of me a certain way. And so something that's really helped on my journey to accepting myself and loving myself, which includes loving my body, um, has been kind of saying, you know, screw it, wearing what I want to wear because it makes me feel good and reminding myself that if people do have things to say about it and, you know, shock horror, they do, then it doesn't reflect on me and it only reflects on them. And getting comfortable with that isn't easy. It's been genuinely years of me doing this and wearing things that maybe I feel good in, but when I'm in public, make me feel a little bit uncomfy because my cleavage is on display or my boobs feel, you know, a bit more out than my friends. Um, But it has been something that has really, really helped and made a difference in my journey to loving myself and my body is just embracing fashion and self-expression and all that comes with it. Yes. And this is actually where I think sexuality and self-love can like collide, right? Because I think if we look at sexuality as not necessarily like the genders that you're attracted to and, and all of that, but also in how you feel about your body, how you connect sexually with your body, right? I feel like something that I really struggled with post my church years was mm-hmm. feeling sexy and feeling okay about it. I have so much shame around my boobs um, and mm. I think that's kind of like what you're talking about. With the, I still do it to this day, Carmen. Like I still struggle to show them off because I feel this re- weird embarrassment and awkwardness. And what's really funny mm-hmm. is my sister has a really small bust but feels mm-hmm. the same way and I think that's because mm-hmm. we grew up in the same environment where we were really mm-hmm. like – I can remember being shamed by like leaders in the church for being a teenager and wearing like a boob tube. I was like a teenager. Like, do you know what I mean? Like it was wild. And so to this day I will put on like a little dress and I'll be like, I'm really feeling myself, but I'll actually feel so anxious. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. honestly we'll just get changed because I'm like, Mm. I I don't want to feel this anxiety Um, It's not making me comfortable. And I do Mm -hmm. think that, you know, you don't have to have come from a church environment or to have big boobs necessarily to to feel this way because I think that, again, you know, you think about the conversations that we have around, you know, consent, right, or like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the she was wearing this, therefore she deserved it. And like women be careful, like don't don't get your boobs out because then you're inviting X, Y, Z, you know, and and that Mm -hmm. is – so ingrained in us as well. So I think that discovering like your own sexuality in terms of how you identify like sexually with your own body is Mm. really tied up in there with self-love. And something I was going to say, which is I think kind of what you are talking about when you just get, 
you know, when you just show them off and you go, you know what, I don't even care, I'm going to do this, is I've had to mm. learn sometimes I have to push through that yep. discomfort and go mm. because then I, over time, I'm actually like working against those thoughts in my head and, mm. and going, no, I'm allowed, I'm giving myself permission to embrace mm. this part of me. I, mm. this is my body. I am proud of it. Mm-hmm. I am proud of feeling myself in this outfit and mm. I'm going to go out into this world. And, and that's, again, like, I mean, I sound like an old person saying this constantly, but it really makes me happy is the amount mm. of young people where I'm like, oh my God, damn, like you are just wearing what you want when you want. You are letting your body, like you are embracing your body in whatever way you want to. I love mm-hmm. that that is happening. And I yeah. think a lot of that is to do with this shift where we as, you know, the previous generation generations are actually saying no this is good for you do that like don't feel shame about your body and and the way that you Mm -hmm. look um Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah I definitely think that's for me where the two tie together totally I think as well when we're talking about this topic I think for me it's less about sexuality and self-love and more about sensuality and embracing my Mm. sensuality and my Mm. my feminine sensuality but um I do want to want to just interject by saying that I don't really like the terms for me like showing off my boobs yeah because I don't think that that's what I do and I think a lot of people mm. will probably disagree with me and those people probably don't have big boobs but I wear <laughs> clothes that people who don't have big boobs also wear and when those people wear those clothes they're not showing anything off and they're Ooh, not yeah. titled as mm. being sexual or sensual or sexy they're just existing and I wear oh, the exact man. same thing and all of a sudden I'm sexualizing myself or I'm showing off my boobs just because I have boobs. Like, And that is like, yeah, that is tapping into my existing, that still thing in my head that thinks that totally. when yeah, I do it, I'm showing them off, right? Exactly, because that's a language that we learn growing up. I mean, for you, it seems like you were like body shamed and uh, in the church and, and sexualized as a child. And that's awful. And I'm so sorry you had that experience. Um, and I feel the same way, not from the church. I wasn't religious growing up, but I grew up with uh, quite a misogynistic father who would tell me to cover up, you know, if I'm wearing a, a singlet with spaghetti straps or God forbid, mm. like my sister and I know like, oh, you're going to see dad, like, don't wear a boob tube. Or like, you're going to see dad, like, don't wear a strapless because he'll comment and say that it's inappropriate. Even from like a young age, he's, he was telling us and drilling into us, you look like a slut. You look like a whore because we're wearing things that other young girls and kids are wearing, but we have boobs. So apparently it's automatically different for us. And so like having that grilled into us from such a young age, I definitely had to work to undo that language of like, I'm showing off or this is too much or um, it's inappropriate. Sometimes now even, you know, visiting uh, family or my partner's family and I'm wearing a t-shirt and I'm like, oh, it's a bit, it's a bit much. I might change. And it's like, Mm. for who and why? And it's because people like members of your church or people like my dad have ingrained in us this understanding of, you know, having big boobs equals slut. And that's just absolutely not the case. Yeah, totally. And that's like, I think that's such a perfect example of, and like, I'm sorry that I even use those terms because it's, I think this is where it really shows that this is like an ongoing 
learning process that we're really unpacking mm. a lot of like ingrained beliefs and you know um I, the one thing I really want to touch on before we finish was like with self-love the importance mm. for me of therapy um yeah I had no so I went through this stage where I kind of got broken up with by sorry I got broken up with by this guy mm. and it's not actually the breakup that did anything in particular. I think it was just the straw that broke the camel's back because I mm-hmm. hadn't realized that for so many years, all of this had been led up to this point where I had been doing everything and, and, and kind of particularly with my body and in my interests and, and the way I was directing my life in a lot of ways was to please men or to mm. gain their approval. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I got dumped by this guy, I think that at that point in my life, I was already in a low it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And I actually was just so depleted. I needed to see a therapist weekly. I was having panic attacks mm-hmm. constantly. I was just in this very, mm-hmm. very dark place, crying at work, all of that stuff. Right. Oh, and man. she said to me, and I did not come in. I did not believe her at the time. I was like, she's crazy. I'm seeing a new <laughs> therapist. She's like, you have low self-esteem. I would even argue you have no self-esteem. And I was like, um, excuse me, I'm very outgoing and I have plenty of self-esteem. I am the life of a party. I talk like, you know what I mean? I've always been like an outgoing person and I couldn't Mm -hmm. understand Mm -hmm. this disconnect between being your personality and your self-esteem. They are not the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's been a journey, man. Like it has been this journey to a actually understand that self-esteem was not connected to how I performed for other people, I suppose is totally. how I would put it. But yeah. also that, you know, if I hadn't had that therapist talk to me that way, I don't think I ever would have faced that. So I really feel mm-hmm. like therapy has been a big thing for me. I don't know how it's been for you. Oh my God. It like you just pretty much told like a story that's happened to me word for word. <laughs> Uh, like growing up I was like what do you mean I'm I'm confident to an extent like outgoing Mm -hmm. very like bubbly charismatic and um I think that it took me a long time to realize like that's my personality but I actually have little to no self-esteem and no self-worth like really no self-worth but you don't realize that those things aren't intertwined you're like I can walk into a room and I can talk to anyone here and we can have a conversation and that's fine but I actually don't like myself and Mm. realizing that is like, it's a, it's a hard realization. It's an important realization though, because obviously the only place to go is up for me. I have been in therapy in and out of therapy from maybe like 15, 16 years of age. And I'm such a, such a like cheerleader for therapy. I think if you have the means and and I know it's a, it's a privileged thing to be able to go to therapy weekly and, and to receive this kind of help, but if you do, and uh, I feel like everybody should attend therapy. Um, it has been something that has been like truly integral for me in terms of like coming to terms of my childhood and unraveling that and unraveling previous relationships and also mm. helping repair my relationship with myself. Because I think there are so many things that we say to ourselves internally every day that we don't realize are harmful or negative or impacting our sense of self until we say them out loud to someone else. And I have so many of those moments Mm -hmm. in therapy where I think I'm just telling like a funny anecdote or something inconsequential that happened a few days prior. And my therapist will say, listen to what you said. You just said this, this, this. And I'm like, 
oh, I guess I did. And so mm. I don't even realize that what I'm saying could be, you know, negative self-talk or hindering um, my journey towards like self-acceptance until she says it back to me. And I think, oh yeah, that that's something that needs to change or that's something that I need to work on. And so I think for me, like therapy has just been like so integral, but also so empowering when you, yeah. even if you don't have mental health issues, like unfortunately I have such a lovely array of them, but even if you don't <laughs> and you, and you, yeah. um, and you go to therapy, I think that it's really empowering to just have language to use to describe like how you're feeling and what you're mm-hmm. experiencing and what you want to work towards and what you value, like having a, a someone present who isn't like directly relevant to your life, you know, kind of like a third party who just sits there and listens and, and, and validates. Validation is a massive thing that I feel like mm-hmm. shouldn't be overlooked, especially if you're trying to build up your, your self-worth or your experience of self-love. Um, it's just so, so integral. And I think that I, hopefully we'll be in therapy for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's a very privileged thing to say, but I, I love my therapist. I think she's amazing. Um, mm. And, and she's just been so, so helpful in helping me undo a lot of stuff from childhood and also the way I think about myself and like repair that relationship with myself. Yeah. And I think like, you know, that's exactly it. It is a privilege. It shouldn't be. I am really Mm. passionate about this. I think that it is just wild to me how like costly therapy as an ongoing part of your life Mm -hmm. can be. And the, even like I would definitely not consider myself financially disadvantaged at all. And yet, Mm -hmm. When I am, you know, struggling with money, therapy is the first thing that has to go because it's just so expensive and that's such Mm -hmm. a shame. Mm -hmm. I think some other things that, and like maybe you've got some as well, some other things that have helped me in periods where like, you know, maybe I can't afford therapy weekly or fortnightly is I found this little app called, I think it's called I Am, but I mean, I think there's so many apps that um, offer this where you can kind Mm -hmm. of get delivered little, little affirmations on your phone that you can write as well. So it, it's, oh. it has pre-written ones, but you can also write mm-hmm. your own that really apply to you. And for me, dismantling the way that I spoke to myself in my head, particularly about my body mm-hmm. or about, you know, how the day was going to go, um, about, you know, failure and, and all of those things, um, I needed to constantly be checking myself. And even if it was like a, an affirmation that wouldn't necessarily apply to me, I would be like, oh, yeah. Okay. How, what's my thinking doing? Like, where am I going in my head? Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pull myself back. And the other one was at the end of the day, like not necessarily journaling. Cause actually, even though I'm a writer, I really hate writing, <laughs> 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 but I started to do just little like gratitudes, just little, like, I'm really grateful for this. I'm really grateful mm-hmm. for my, you know, one, I made this joke where it was like in summer, I was having a particularly bad time. And the only thing I could write down was I'm grateful for my ceiling fan. <laughs> it was like <laughs> so silly, but things like that, that would just get me out of like a negative spiral in my head. So I think there's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've got any suggestions for little things people could do um, on top of obviously therapy and, and all of the big stuff. Totally. Something that's really like a few things that have really, really helped me um, is I have been saying the same affirmations granted I've been adding affirmations to them over the years but like the foundation has been the same for the past like four years and I say the same ones every single morning and it's usually when I'm in the shower or you know doing my skincare or brushing my teeth whatever it is like something that I do every day anyway I'm saying these affirmations in my head and um 
that has been something that has just been like a really nice way of starting the day. They're very positive. Mm. They're very, you know, kind of like um, they're, they're focused on a bunch of different things on health and career and my relationships and all these things um, and my finances and whatever it may be, but they're very um, encouraging affirmations. So I start my morning by saying them and something else that has been like actually quite like, not life-changing but a little bit life-changing um for me I don't know if you listen to a lot of music I listened I listen to a lot of music and I Mm -hmm. kind of will always have especially because I work from home and I work for myself like it's can be quite like a solitary experience I've always got either like a podcast or a playlist going and something that I started doing was only listening to like um upbeat music in the mornings and because mm. I am such a sucker for like a sad playlist, I'm such a sucker for like, you know, <laughs> yeah. something, a bit, something like a bit like masochistic, you know, and that's fine. Yeah. But maybe not first <laughs> thing fine. in the morning when you, yeah. it's fine. That's okay. There's a time and a place, but Absolutely. maybe not first thing in the morning when you wake up. Mm. And so if you are one of those people that, you know, you wake up in the morning and you want to put on a song or you want to put on a playlist or you want to listen to an album, like, I would suggest like curating a playlist that is very upbeat, just like songs you want to dance to, songs that make you want to get up and move. And if they do do that, get up and move, get up and have a Mm. little dance for five minutes in your bedroom before you make the bed. Something like that, because for me, I don't have the same sort of morning routine every morning. Sometimes I'll wake up early and go for a walk. Sometimes I'll sleep till nine and work from bed. Like it just depends on what I'm feeling, especially as a chronically ill person, but Mm. always having that playlist that I can turn on um it's called like high vibrational energy I think is my playlist name but it's private so you guys can't follow it but <laughs> I was gonna say can I follow it and they're like no no you, you <laughs> cannot me. you it. can make um, your own I'll make my own <laughs> but just making a playlist of high vibrational songs that make you mm. want to get up and dance or smile or sing along or, or move in a certain way I think listening to that in the morning if you are someone who's prone to wanting to listen to something while you're working or doing your morning routine that really helps me start my day in a positive headspace. I'm not saying you're going to stay in the same headspace all day, but it's just little things like affirmations, little things like getting some sun, sitting outside, listening to some music that makes you happy, helps lay the foundation for having a good mental health day. Oh my gosh, I love that tip. I'm making my own high vibrational energy playlist as soon as we get off this chat. We have you covered should. so much ground, Carmen. Oh my gosh, I feel like people are like heads exploded. Like <laughs> we've gone everywhere, but I've like so enjoyed this chat. Oh my goodness, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of this chat um, and oh really gosh, learned a lot of me- things. Oh, that makes me feel so happy. I feel the same way and I feel um, very validated in having had this conversation with you. Oh, good. I'm glad. And I hope everyone listening that you feel the same way. Um, And of course, thank you for listening to Love Rants again and check in next week because there'll be a new episode. Thanks for listening again. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Pop Sugar's Love Rants. Join us again next week as we navigate the vulnerability, embarrassment and preciousness of love and self-love. Follow yuli.com.au on Instagram and TikTok to stay up to date on all things women's health.